Thank you for joining us. At Barton Church, we're all about seeing lives, communities, and culture transformed by the gospel. We're working our way through Luke's gospel in a series called We Follow. We're now up to chapter 13 and 14 and exploring more about what it means to follow Jesus in today's world as whole life disciples. Once upon a time, there was a man called Pontius Pilate, and he was the Roman governor of a province called Judea. And Pilate, like all good Romans, decided he would build an aqueduct, and he built it from a place called the Pool of Solomon, right into the city of Jerusalem. And this would improve the water situation for the local people. It's the kind of thing the Romans did. But the kind of thing the Romans also did was that they uh, made the people pay for these kind of improvements through taxation and so on. And in this case, Pilate said, you know what, let's use money from the temple treasury to pay for this aqueduct. Now, if you know the Jewish faith and you know their laws, you would know that this was a big no-no. That money, the money in the temple treasury, was set aside for God. It wasn't to be used to build aqueducts. So a group of Jews, a delegation of Jews, decided to go to Pilate and plead and beg for him not to use that money for the aqueduct. And Pilate, when he heard they were coming, told some of his soldiers to dress in civilian clothes. And as the group came in, some of the soldiers in their civilian clothes mingled with the crowd. And when the delegation arrived, Pilate gave the word and those soldiers drew their weapons and they slaughtered the delegation that had come to talk to Pilate. Now, it's not a particularly nice bedtime story that one but it gives you an idea of the kind of man Pilate was and the way his approach to problem solving if you like so it should come as no surprise to find out that there are situations throughout history where Pilate would have people killed and we read this morning today about one of those situations in the passage in Luke that uh, Pilate had a group of Galileans killed um, on their way to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices and some of the people who are with Jesus decide to let him know about this thing that's that's gone on here it's not totally unexpected this is the kind of thing that Pilate did and this is what they say uh, Luke 13 verse 1 now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Now, why are they saying this? Why are they telling Jesus? This? They're not just sort of passing on the news. Hey, Jesus, had you heard this thing had happened? Because as the verse says, there were some who were present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans. So they were there while Jesus was, was in the middle of his teaching. If you like it was right then in his teaching now because this is chapter 13 a new chapter and we've not looked at Luke for since last year and a good time has passed you may think this is like a new story it's a, another day but actually this is happening while Jesus is teaching the stuff he was talking about in ch chapter 12 what while Jesus was teaching about the the end of chapter 12 which we heard a sermon on uh, a while ago, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, sometime last year, um, Jesus was talking about interpreting the signs of the times and 
um, making peace with your adversaries before the, the judge rules against you. And it's in this context that, the, that some in the crowd sort of tell Jesus about Pilate having done this. And we're not entirely sure why or what spin they took on this, but based on what Jesus follows up with, it seems that they're hooked on this notion of justice. Jesus is talking about making peace with your adversary before the judge rules against you. And maybe they're telling this story as an example of, look, you're talking about justice, Jesus. You're talking about a judge ruling against you. Well, God is the judge. God makes right judgments. And look what he's done. He's uh, These Galileans have have been killed by Pilate and it seems that the crowd or those who tell this story are putting a spin on it that this is an act of justice. It's interesting that, that, that it's mentioned that they're Galileans because the Galileans were Jews, very patriotic Jews, very strong sense of right and wrong and particularly not fans of Rome but they were also viewed with a bit of suspicion by if you like the pure blood Jews in Jerusalem and other places like that because Galilee was a bit of a, a melting pot and the, 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 the people of the Galileans had kind of mixed origins a bit of a shady past considered a bit outcasts if you like and uh, so there's maybe an element that these these People are telling this story to Jesus, saying, you're talking about justice, you're talking about judgment. Well, look what happened to these Galileans. Look what God did to these, these unclean Galileans. You know, Pilate killed them and this was justice. This is what God did. This seems to be what they're implying, if not explicitly saying, because that's certainly how Jesus seems to, to take it. That the crowd, these people are telling this story to say these Galileans have died because they offended God in some way. And Jesus goes on to say, verse two, you know, this is how we know this is this is how Jesus sort of uh, understood what they were saying. Verse two of Luke 13, Jesus answered, do you think that those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. All those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. So Jesus sort of challenges this underlying current, if you like, this assumption that the the Galileans who were slaughtered by Pilate were slaughtered because they were somehow sinful or worse than other Galileans. So maybe again the spin on justice is, look, we're not worried about justice. God delivers justice and if I sin, God will judge me. But I'm here. I'm still here. I'm alive. So obviously I'm OK. So you don't really need to lecture me, Jesus, on making peace with adversary or reading the signs of the times or being careful of being judged against by, by the judge because, you know, I'm still alive. God hasn't punished me, so I must be I must be all right. Maybe that's the spin they took. But either way, Jesus comes and says, no, this is not how it works. Do you think those Galileans Pilate slaughtered were worse than other Galileans? Were worse than you? Is that what you think? You think you, you're alive and you're fine and because you're a good person and, and they weren't? That tower that fell, 
it's interesting that Jesus kind of pulls up both aspects here. One, Pilate, the actions of a man, but also a falling tower, the kind of thing that might be called an accident or an act of God or a natural disaster or something that people have no control over. Do you, they're saying, do you see God's judgment in that too? Do you think those 18 who died when that tower fell, do you think that happened because they were worse sinners than you? And Jesus, is, Jesus' argument is no. That's that's not how life works. And it's quite interesting because I think a lot of people still hold on to this idea that, you know, bad things happen to bad people. Good things happen to good people. That's how life should be. Well, I uh, I heard a quote once. It made me laugh by uh, Shari Barr, um, who said, expecting life to treat you well because you are a good person is like expecting an angry bull not to charge you because you are a vegetarian. That's not how life works. Good things happen to bad people, bad things happen to good people. And Jesus is challenging this idea that, you know, if I am good, if I, or the fact that bad things are not happening to me proves that I am righteous, that I, I haven't done anything wrong. Jesus challenges the idea of their understanding of how God works and justice and judgment. And what's really interesting is that Jesus doesn't say, you know, you've misunderstood the whole thing. Here, let me explain how justice and judgment works. Let me explain, you know, why God allows suffering or why bad things happen to good people or why, you know, this tower fell on those particular people. Let me explain how it all works. Let me give you an apologetics masterclass and make sense of these big questions. Jesus doesn't do that. He basically says to them, look, the world does not work the way you think it works. How are you going to live? How are you going to live in the light of that? What should you be doing? Don't worry so much about the sins of others. Check your own lives. If you don't repent, you will perish too. Unless you repent, you will perish. This is kind of what Jesus says and it would be perhaps natural or easy for us to interpret this as, as a way of Jesus saying you know well you better watch out death is is around the corner you could die at any time so make sure your life is right with God before you die but that's not where Jesus goes with this that's not what Jesus means when he talks about perishing and repent or perish let's uh, carry on Luke 13 so we're up to verse 6 now, we're going to read to, to verse 9, which is the last uh, section we're going to look at. So having challenged them for the way they think and, and warned them that unless they repent, they will perish, we read this. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he went to look for fruit on it, but he did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig round it and fertilise it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, cut it down. So if you know your Old Testament, or at least you've heard uh, remember uh, some of the sermons we, we 
preached on Isaiah last year, and I remember I spoke about this spe specifically, that when you hear language like fig trees and vineyards, it conjures up an image. It should conjure up an image. It's building on the images that are in the Old Testament. Fig trees, vineyards, this is Israel imagery. So Jesus is talking about Israel. So he's not talking to these particular individuals. You repent or you will perish. You know, make sure you get your life right with God or, or you're in trouble. He's talking to the nation. He's saying, Israel, you are in danger of perishing. You are in danger of being destroyed. The, the parable is a warning against the nation of Israel because they have not borne the fruit that God wanted. So all those who are saying, well, look, we're fine because God hasn't judged us. God hasn't destroyed us. He judged those Galileans. So they were obviously sinners. But God hasn't destroyed us, so we're fine. Jesus's response is, no, you're in trouble too. You're, this is, you're, the days are running out for this nation. Now, if you remember your history, I say remember, maybe you've never known it in the first place. But if you know your history or you've heard people talk about it, you'll know that in 70 AD, Rome actually did destroy the temple and, and sort of sacked Jerusalem because of a, a failed rebellion by the Jews. And so kind of Jesus is almost pointing this saying, you guys are in danger. You're walking a, a fine line. You will perish if you don't repent, if you don't start bearing fruit. If you don't start being the people of God that you've been called to be for centuries and centuries and centuries and you've run away from that calling, you've turned from that calling and embraced uh, other empires, embraced another way of living and time is running out. The gardener is, is um, doing all he can to ensure you bear fruit but the owner of the, the vineyard is, is getting impatient, is, is running out of time. And it's interesting to know that in the parable, the gardener is doing all he can to care for this tree, to ensure that it that it bears fruit. Just a, a side note, I just want, want to warn you against looking at this parable as though, you know, it can be tempting to look at it and say, oh, well, God is the, the guy who wants to cut the tree down and Jesus is the gardener. You know, Jesus is God's kind of gardener and, and Jesus is, is saying, look, God, look, Father, give them one more chance before you destroy them. But that's not that's not how the parable should be read. The gardener is God. That's how it would be understood in the Old Testament. That's how we should understand it. Certainly not this idea that Jesus is somehow holding back God's you know, fury. That's not a, a healthy or right view of viewing. It's not the right way to interpret this parable. God is the gardener. God is the one caring for this tree, for this tree and hoping it will bear fruit. So if the tree does not bear fruit, it is not because God has not loved and cared and nurtured this tree. And Jesus is saying your time is running out. You need to get your lives in order and, and stop um, following your own paths and turn back to God. So having explored this, this passage a bit, we come to the question of what are we to do with all this? Because as I've said, this is a passage about Israel's lack of fruit. It's about the, the danger that Israel faces, the need for Israel to repent. So, so where does that fit with us? What does that mean for us? Well, I think the first thing I wanted to say is we need to acknowledge that this world does not work the way we want it to, or this world does not 
does not function the way we think it should. Okay, and uh, it may seem like an obvious thing to, to, to say, but that quote, I hope you sort of, when I said it, uh, you know, expecting life to treat you well, uh, because you are a good person is like expecting an angry bull not to charge you because you are a vegetarian. I hope that quote sort of made you smile maybe or made you think, yeah, no, that is actually true. We know, don't we, that life does not work the way we want it to. Good things happen to bad people. Life is not always fair. But I just feel like I need to remind us of that because I know in my life, and I think for some of us, we carry in us this kind of secret suspicion that life should be fair, if you like, to sort of twist the quote a bit. We go through life thinking, life should treat me well because I am a Christian. Bad things shouldn't happen to me because I am a Christian. And we go through life that way. And I want to say to you today, we need to get rid of that idea. Because if we, you know, the Bible says itself, you know, God did not spare his own son. God himself sort of uh, sent his son to experience the injustice and the unfairness and the actions of Pilate and the falling towers. Jesus himself experienced these things. And if God did not spare his son from those things, why should we think that he would, should spare us, that we're entitled to be spared? As Paul says in Philippians 2, you know, Christ, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited, something to be grasped, something to be taken advantage of, but instead took the very nature of a servant and humbled himself. This is the way that God interacts with the world to actually get involved in the world imperfect as it is with all its flaws in order that others should know freedom and salvation and it should be no surprise to us that he he calls us to the same thing therefore for us to go through life expecting you know what I should only get good things because I'm a good person or I'm a Christian and bad things shouldn't happen to me it's just not the right way to view life it's not the right way to live it's not a helpful way to live and it's certainly not a way that the Bible says, you know, you should approach life. It's not the way that Jesus in this passage says that life is. That, you know, sometimes people do not get what they deserve and that's what happens. And Jesus' response, I think, is interesting not to explain or justify, but to say, how are you going to live in this type of world? What are you going to do about the fact you live in a world that doesn't work the way that God ultimately is, is wanting it to work? And we're getting there, we're heading towards that world. But in the meantime, what are you going to do? How are you going to live? I think, I think one thing that's helpful to remember in these times is the fact that as we, we, we hear about in this parable, there is a gardener and he cares for the tree. This is something that, that's in this parable here, that the tree is not producing fruit, but it's not because the gardener doesn't care. It's not because the gardener is not nurturing and loving that tree. And it's the same with us. Even though life at times is not fair, it does not mean that the gardener, that God is not loving and caring and nurturing us too. Uh, Paul, I mentioned his letter, the, the extract from the Philippians. It's an interesting letter. I think if you read Paul's letter um, to the Philippians, and you, you look at it in some detail and you look at all the things Paul says about rejoicing and encouraging one another and the praises he gives to God. And just ask yourself, if Paul didn't tell me in that very letter that he was writing this from prison, 
would I know? You know, would I know that Paul, while he was writing this, was going through a bad time? That he was, uh, had been arrested, he was in prison, and he possibly, I mean, from the writing in, in one, he possibly knew that his days were numbered. That he was actually, the, the only way he was getting out of this prison was, was by being dead. But would you know that from the letter and the things he writes about how we should live and the way we should rejoice and the way we should pray and the way we should encourage one another and the way we should relate to God? I don't think you would. And, and why does Paul write like that? Why is he able to do this? In Philippians chapter 1, it's uh, quite interesting. He writes 1.12, he, he writes this, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So I think this is an interesting thing to note about Paul. I think Paul understood as well as anyone that we lived in an imperfect world. We lived in a world where Rome made decisions about who lived or died based on what was convenient for them or what was what was helpful for them. He, he understood that we lived in a world where towers fell. He, you know, he, that ships sank while people were on them. Paul knew that all too well. If you read Acts, Paul knows shipwrecks. He knows what it is to be involved in shipwrecks. He knows that these things happen. Paul knew that sometimes you went to prison for doing the right thing. Paul knew this. And yet he is able to this sort of nurture this, can have this attitude of, of faith and rejoicing and worship because I think Paul understood that there was a gardener that cared for the tree and nurtured the tree and provided what the tree needed but I think he understood very importantly and I think you you see that in the verse where he says brothers I want you to know that what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel he understood that God God sort of the care God gave him was with the aim of him bearing fruit this is one of the problems we have, I think. Sometimes we think that God loves us and God nurtures us and God cares for us with the ultimate aim of making our life as easy as possible. With the ultimate aim of making us get through this life as enjoyably as possible, with, you know, making as few sacrifices as necessary, having the things we want. We think that's what God's love is about. But as we heard in the parable Jesus told, as Paul understood, God's love, care and nurture is geared towards helping us to bear fruit. That is God's ultimate agenda. And it doesn't mean, you know, that's not a joyful thing. It doesn't mean that's not a happy thing. It doesn't mean you don't experience good things or sometimes God just gives you gifts for the sake of giving you gifts. But it means that ultimately what God is doing in your life is nurturing you in order that you may bear fruit. And the sooner we realise that, the sooner we stop looking at life as, you know, good things and bad things happen uh, and why are these things happening to me? The sooner we realise that whatever happens, God is looking for us to bear fruit, the happier we will be and the more fruitful we will be. So the final thing I want to say, kind of like the last challenge I want to leave you with, is bearing all that in mind, resolve that you are going to love, worship and serve God 
regardless. Even though we live in a world that doesn't function the way we want it to function. Even though life at times does not treat us as we deserve to be treated. And other people who deserve, you know, bad things happen to them get good things. Even though that's the world we live in, resolve that you are going to love, serve and worship God anyway. Because I have noticed it in my own life, and I know this is, this is one of those times where it's not just me, I've seen it in others, where we are so glad that God loves us unconditionally. And we sing about it, and we talk about it, and we praise about it, and we memorise verses that confirm for us, you know, God, God loved me even though I fail. God loves me even though I, I'm a sinner. You know, while we were still sinners, God sent his son to die for us. So God loves us unconditionally. But then we don't extend God the same courtesy. We say, God, thank you for loving me unconditionally. But if you want my love, there's a few things you need to do for me. You need to earn it. There are conditions attached to my love, God. I'm grateful that you love me unconditionally, but it doesn't work the other way round. Because what we say to God is, God, I will love you as long as life goes the way I think it should go. As long as you keep me safe from Pilate and falling towers. As long as that happens, Lord, you have my love. We have no problem. But the moment my life takes a turn I don't like, I will withdraw my love. I will withhold my love. I will instead feel like you don't care about me. I will instead say, there is, you know, God's gone away. This is how we live. This is the kind of uh, danger we, we fall into, that we withhold our love from God because he doesn't let life happen the way we think it should happen and I'm saying let's not live that way let's live a different way now I have to say again speaking from personal experience I don't think there's anything wrong with being angry with God when life treats you unfairly when something happens I, I think that's okay I think that's better than being angry with people I think you know if you're angry with God because of things that have happened in your life you're in good company uh, look through the Old Testament some of those names Abraham Moses um, uh, Jeremiah e e Elijah all these these big names many of them had moments where they they took God to one side and said, look, God, I am not happy with the way you're handling this, the way things are going. Being angry with God, I think, is a sign of faith in one sense, because why would you be angry with someone unless you, A, you believe he exists, and B, you believe he can do something about your situation? Um, those are kind of the prerequisites for being angry with God, and those are statements of faith. So I'm telling you, don't be embarrassed, don't be ashamed, don't feel like you failed because you have at times feel angry with God because life has let you down. But what I am saying to you is that being angry with God is not a good long-term strategy. It's not a great long-term plan for your life. I mean, really, is our plan to withhold our love from God, withhold our praise and service from God, and then when we sort of die and, and get to heaven and God says, why didn't you bear more fruit? We're going to say, well, God, it's because you didn't love me enough. It's because you didn't you know, try hard enough, God. If you tried a bit harder, you would have got more fruit from me. Come on, that's not, that's not a good plan, is it? That's, that's not really uh, a, a great sound strategy, is it? I don't think that's going to go the way you think it's going to go. And um, there will be, I think there will be plenty of time in heaven 
right, for you to tell God where he's gone wrong and, you know, how um, he should have organised things. Plenty of time for that in heaven. And I'm sure he will, you know, be more than interested in what you have to say there. But in the meantime, we just have to figure out what are we going to do now? How are we going to live now? And this is how Jesus approaches this this things in this passage it's his 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 basically says look you don't understand what's going on how are you going to live he doesn't explain why he he always comes back to this question what are you going to do how are you going to live bearing in mind that we live in this the world like this that we live in a, a fallen world where things don't go according to plan where where men like Pilate can just kill without repercussion and where towers fall on people who don't deserve it and if you resolve that regardless of how life is going you are going to try your best to love serve and worship God regardless of what life throws at you you know you might have a blip every now and then that's fine but as a sort of underlying current of your life my life is going to be geared to trying to to worship and serve God even when it feels like God himself is against me. If you can get there, it's, I'm not telling you it's easy, but what I'm telling you is that if you can live that way, you will see how the gardener has loved you. You will see your life differently. You will see through the lens of the gardener's care and nurture with the aim of you bearing fruit and you will then begin to understand and realise that nothing, not men like Pilate, not falling towers, nothing can stop you becoming something beautiful.